0: Step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Four-time
1: Best Sports Blog winner.
0: With Justin Bradford. Three-time winner for Best Sports Reporter and Commissioner of the SECHC. And Glenn Blackwell. It's time to talk all things hockey in the Music City.
1: Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk.
0: ESPN.
1: 102.5 The Game.
2: ESPN 125 game, Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. And despite their best efforts to blow a lead, again, the National Predators won in overtime thanks to tremendous effort by Eric Hala and Roman Yossi to give them the win and get one step closer to clinching a playoff berth. They could do that as early as Wednesday if Dallas continues to fall down and stumble. Uh, thanks to the Predators was starting that trend off over back on Saturday, Glenn. So let's, let's start back there on Saturday and these Nashville predators. And I know the confidence from a lot like media, including myself, hasn't necessarily been there. We want to see like, what's next, what's next? What do they keep doing next? Mm
1: -hmm. I'm not
2: saying this team is legit, a Stanley cup contender, but they are legit competing to where we thought they would compete at the beginning of the season. And that's what I kind of go back to is that we knew they were going to be right in the gray area of playoffs mm-hmm. and they're performing like that. And they've done everything they possibly could to get into the mix of this. And I think for the, the team itself, for the confidence of a lot of these guys and for the young players in this team too, that's what matters the most right now too, is they got a big win when they absolutely needed to get a big win at home. And that speaks volumes for just the mentality of this team right now.
1: It does. It speaks a lot actually, because we all know a time in this season where that mentality did not exist with this team and you're right I mean this is the converse this is the conversation that we're having now about them clinching that playoff spot trying to nail down that fourth spot this is where a lot of us assumed they would be but this roller coaster happened and they took a downward spiral and then it, it just became our new normal for us to talk about of like I don't really know if that's that's not even going to be an issue they're not even going to be fighting for that but they are And like you mentioned too, I mean, the youth, I know I've said it so many times on the show, but like they had a huge, huge part in jumpstarting this team. They really did. I mean, when a team is down with injuries and you've got an opportunity for young kids to come up to play, it can go one of two ways. And thankfully in Nashville, a lot of the fan base got to see that the future of Nashville looks good right now but the current, they they changed the current situation right now for Nashville, and they turned it around. You see, SARS turned things around in the middle of March. I mean, all things started turning around positive for Nashville, so we can sit here and try to speculate, you know, well, what'll happen in the first round, but we'll see what happens. If they get the playoff spot, they go in the first round, we'll see what happens there, but right now, I think that even if they can just get in and don't go any further than the first round, I think they can hang their hat on looking back at a season that they they truly turned around for the better. Especially, or hang their hat, yeah. not hat. They'll I mean they have
2: hats on. too. <laughs> well, I mean, Emil Bemstrom has plenty of hats to hang after his hat trick oh against the prince. Uh, but but yes, it's it's one of those things. If we I'm not trying to spin this positively, I'm just looking at the situation as it is. Uh, it's it's funny, a couple things. Uh I know, I know he's messing around, but uh, Buddy Blake tried to say, you didn't think they could do it. It's like, <laughs> they didn't sh- prove, they didn't show any reason why anybody You're should think they could realistic. do it yeah. back in March. I mean, back yep. at the beginning of March, in the middle of March, you turned things around. But back then it was legit to be talking about the worst because that's what they were giving you. You look at what the experiment has given you, the experiment of the season, and you analyze it as it progresses and what it gives you. If you were saying at the beginning of March that, I believe this team can make the playoffs. Look what they're doing. They're doing everything possible. They can do. And they're, they're a playoff team. I would have said you're full of dog poop. <laughs> I mean, like, they,
1: show me, show me, show me,
2: show me give, give me yeah. the examples. Cause goaltending was bad. Offense was bad. Power play was, everything was bad. And that's what you evaluate it based on. And then they flipped the switch and turn it around. And it was like an immediate flip of the switch where things all of a sudden just started clicking well. And then you evaluate that sample size that you have thinking, okay, well, maybe this is just a spurt. And then they've continued to do it. And and I'm not saying that that's the team that they've been all season, but they proved that they can play above what they were in March and that it took some time for it to click in. And that's what they've proven, too, that when it, whoever's in the lineup, they're able to go and perform. And obviously you see how important Ellie Tolvin and Philip Forsberg are the power play. Uh, so that's one thing that wasn't just clicking when you had injuries happen. But the team overall is continuing to win. They're beating the teams they're supposed to beat. And that's what's important, too, and stealing a couple of victories here and there. And that's what we said at the very beginning of the season they'd have to do. You beat the teams you're supposed to beat, which are projected to be below you, and then you steal some victories. They haven't stolen enough victories to give me confidence in the playoffs right now. And especially with the way this is going, the last two games of the season in Carolina are not going to be a litmus test for how mm-hmm. things could go against them because they might rest players. I don't think Rod Brindamore will allow them to rest or to, to take a step back, but just that it's different. Playoffs are a completely different beast uh, when we look at this, but looking at this team in general, Yusuf Saros has put this team on his back. And even when the offense is not clicking on all cylinders, he is giving them an opportunity to win by making stellar saves. I mean, he should absolutely be in the conversation for Vezina. I just still don't think he will win, but we've said it before that he deserves to be in top three consideration as a goaltender mm-hmm. or maybe even Hart. <laughs> not to say that he would win, but still discussions yeah. on, was he one of the best? Was he one of the players that was an MVP for his team? Absolutely. I mean, 100%. That just because someone's in the conversation doesn't mean you think they should win. It's that they should be in the conversation because they were one of the top players. And that's what he's been. He's been one of the top players for this team, uh, both in net and just overall for the team in general. And that's what he belongs in the conversation for. Uh, mm-hmm. So obviously right now is it not, money puck has 91% chance that the Predators will make the playoffs. It's not going to take much more. They can clinch on Wednesday. If Dallas loses to Tampa again in regulation, uh, the Nashville Predators should be able to clinch a playoff berth and to think that they could do that before the final two games. when we all thought it was going to come down to the final two games of the season with Dallas versus Chicago and Nashville versus Carolina. They could just be kicking back and going, well, it's not like we're playing for (laughs) seeding. We can just rest guys.
1: Yeah. It does not hurt that Nashville is one win away and Dallas is one loss. And, I mean, Dallas was a team. It seemed like that was going to be a team that was out there, you know, ready to improve their playoff odds, but now they, I mean, they, they need some help. I mean, they're playing Tampa Bay on Wednesday. And if you look at the last six games against Dallas, Tampa Bay won five of those, they blanked them in three of those six. So Mm -hmm. if recent history bias has any indication, Nashville fans can, can hope that it's going to play out in Tampa's favor. Um, But you know, the, wild and thrilling fun thing about sports that we all love is that you just don't know so
2: <laughs> we definitely don't don't just know I just mean know. it's if someone I would say I wonder what the odds were at the beginning of March for the natural predators to make the playoffs if someone placed a bet just like a five dollar bet on yeah. <laughs> um, Will the Preds make the playoffs? And if they do, how much money would they have made? Uh, we, we need to ask Matt Best, uh, who <laughs> we had on last that. week, uh, yep. about that. Because uh, well, the, 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 that's an interesting thing, because there was no confidence as well. And then the youth came in, and that's what's been exciting to watch. And it's curious, too, to see some folks that are still on the fire John Hines train, And it's not all on him. I mean, it's a team effort, but the coach does have something to do with this as well, buying into his system and what he was preaching on the bench and what he's wanting his team to accomplish, what they're doing in practices and morning skates and things of that sort as well. So there's credit to John Hines uh, in this too.
1: And if you want to if you want to call for him out when it was bad, right, you have to admit when it yep. turned around and got good, then yep. he had to have something to do with that. You know, right. He goes both ways.
2: So it's curious to me and I'm not saying that he's completely safe next season, but he's obviously yeah. safe this offseason, even if they don't make the playoffs somehow. If they somehow just don't make the playoffs and they lose three straight and the Dallas Stars win the rest of their games and they win it, which is highly unlikely, just given the math, hmm. then he's still his job is safe. He's, he's shown that he can at least be competitive. Is it still the best for the future? We're, we've yet to find out. It's hard to predict that kind of thing. Uh, but John Hines has shown that that he can at least l- help lead a team and the people around him as well, with, I mean, a good goal t- goaltending coach, you can tell Ben Vandenklok's been working with user Saros, and Saros has really stepped it up, but it's the players and the coaches working together. It's not one person. Not all the blame goes on one person. Uh, my only concern is this off season that some moves still need to be made in terms of salary cap adjustments uh, in regards to what the expansion draft's going to, to unfold, that you can't just stand back. If for some reason, and I know we discussed this with uh, Matt Best and Locked On Predators, if they make a run to the conference final, Then I'm okay with saying, you know what, bring them all back. Let's try it again or something. (laughs) But I highly doubt that's going to happen. So some moves still need to be made for salary cap purposes in order to get these young guys more playing time because they've shown that they belong. And if you give them more opportunities, they're going to take it and run with it, too. And that's what's been great to see is that guys don't feel safe in their roles that they have to compete. They have to go out there and compete for their spots because the team's getting healthier. Meaning they, who knows who's going to get scratched right now. And you have your guys that, you know, are probably going to be in the lineup, but they need the bottom six guys they're wrote, they could rotate. And I want that Sisson's line to be together. Uh, Apparently he's out with an upper body injury. That's why he missed the previous game and Brad Richardson stepped in, but you think there's other guys that are just itching to get in the game. So Mm -hmm. there's that. So anyways, we have plenty to discuss tonight. Up next we have Mark Shag with the hockey writer talk Columbus blue jackets and junior hockey as well. The big showcase going on in Erie coming up at the end of this month. That's going to help with the NHL draft. I mean, we're talking over a hundred players going to Erie. So I'll be curious to see his information on that. And then Abby Labar, who is a reporter with Valley sports South covering the Carolina hurricanes because that's who the predators will finish their season up against. So we have a, Great show tonight, folks. So glad you're here with us, and thanks for tuning in. We'll be right back with Mark Scheig of the Hockey Rider here on Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, and always excited and thankful to have our next guest on. We have Mark Scheig from the Hockey Rider, covers the Columbus Blue Jackets, also junior hockey with the area otters and everything, too. Mark, thanks for joining us, man.
3: Uh Justin, Glenn, always great to join you, too. Thank you.
2: We appreciate it. So the Columbus Blue Jackets, obviously not in the position that – a lot of folks thought they'd be competing for, which is fourth mm-hmm. potentially with Nashville and potentially Florida. Things kind of all jumbled up as we were talking before we went live here. But cool. just this journey overall for the Blue Jackets, uh, it's been a different type of roller coaster. I mean, with with the trade that happened with Dubois and, and line a to Felino being traded away, which I'm sure just was pretty detrimental to a lot of folks, just given his leadership quality and everything too, being a favorite mm-hmm. there. What is this season? Just your overall scope of the season for the Blue Jackets, and where do they go from here?
3: That's that's the million-dollar question, Justin. <laughs> Where do they go from here? I mean, we could sit here and literally for three or four hours talk about every little thing that has happened with the Columbus Blue Jackets, but I think if we're going to pick one thing and go from there, they did not recover from Pierre-Luc Dubois leaving. I mean, that literally shook the foundation of the team. I mean, yes, getting Patrick Liney and Jack Rossover Let's not forget how – Pretty good, he's been especially offensively in that trade. Rosslovic coming in on in the line A deal, but they just defensive um, deficiencies. Center ice has been a problem all season. Depending on guys with very little experience to be able to try to come in and play and try to replace Dubois, that's that was just a whole lot to ask. And then you know just the room I think Tortorella recently mentioned on an interview that the room had not recovered from that situation and they seem to have lost the culture a little bit so whether Tortorella is back or not is definitely going to be a story but you know whether it be him or whether it be the next coach they've got to try to get back to what the blue jacket mentality is and try to be able to get that culture back but and we're going to talk about it in a little bit, but a lot of it's going to hinge on what happens with Seth Jones. So where does it go from here? There's so many questions, still a very, very young team. They got three first round picks coming up in the draft. So it's going to be a very fascinating offseason because their to-do list is very, very long.
1: And speaking of mentality, after last night's game against Nashville, Emil Bimstrom, not only his first NHL hat trick, but I mean, he alone brought that team back into the game, gave them that point. No T what do you think that something like that last night brought to this Blue Jackets team, as far as their mentality goes, knowing the struggles that this team is ending their season with.
3: Yeah. Glenn, I think and mentioned it yesterday, they just haven't had a lot of fun this year from everything that has happened till now. It's just been a struggle and to be able to have a moment like that, where, I think a lot of fans even turned the game off when it was three to nothing because they've scored 10 goals in their last nine games combined and they're down three to nothing and they're they're kind of playing the string out. And then Emil Bemstrom comes in, has no goals on the season, just came back off of a six-week layoff due to injury, had so many scoring chances, gets that first one, like, okay, that's a good story in itself just for him to be able to get one because of the journey he's had to be able to get back. But then they get the second one, to be able to get the third one. It almost came out of nowhere, but it kind of shows the talent that this guy has. You know, the the Blue Jackets brought him in from Sweden because he was known to have a really good shot, was supposed to help on their power play. And he finally got some results with him. It's, 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 It's had 10 goals last year, big struggle this year. Just nice for them to be able to enjoy. I mean, Tortorella had a fist pump on the bench. Everybody on the bench just celebrated. They're just looking for something and Bemstrom finally gave them something to cheer for here down the stretch with these last couple of games.
1: And obviously, while we have you here, we have to address the Tom Wilson nonsense that occurred last night. Um, Now that the Department of Player Safety has given their $5,000 fine as a punishment, (laughs) I have to get your take on what you saw. And what are your thoughts on the supplemental discipline or the lack of supplemental discipline? On Wilson from the partner Player Safety.
3: Well, we could talk about this for hours as well, but <laughs> the league is broken when it comes to that. I, I mean, think about the rules that are in place. If you wanna go by letter of the law, the way that they interpret the CBA and what's in the CBA. Okay, so they got them for roughing. That's a $5,000 fine if it gets to that point. I think the problem here, think back to Rafi Torres a few years ago when he laid out Silverberg got 41 games. He wasn't even a repeat offender, but it was the totality of everything that he did. And so it's almost like the, they're trying to give mixed messages on the way that they handle things. It's like, do they even have a plan? And taking a look at that play over and over again, there's no hockey play anywhere to be found there. I mean, literally, Wilson pulled Panarin's hair, pulled him down to the ice head first, and now Panarin is out for the year, and he gets away with a $5,000 fine. What I think bothers me here, above all else, the NHL always demands accountability from everybody else. Where's the accountability now when it comes to them? All they did was release an email saying there was going to be a fine. There was really no explanation. That was it. They're basically saying, you know, whatever you did here, you can do it again. It's only going to cost you $5,000. Heck, when he sat in the penalty box, the way he makes $5 million a year. He sat in the box for 14 minutes. He made more money or enough money in that time to be able to pay that fine and then some. That's completely ridiculous. There needs to be consistency here. He's got a long track record. He's a repeat offender. There was intent to injure there. I don't know how the league can go on like this. There was outrage and rightfully so because they missed a golden opportunity to really do something with this. Yeah, they really, truly did. And again, uh Mark Shag of the Hockey Road joining us,
2: talking Blue Jackets, NHL, and we'll touch junior hockey. And I know Glenn and I will have our own thoughts on the Tom Wilson situation in our final segment of the show. I know we'll, we'll we'll get into that one there. Uh And real quick, jumping back to the Blue Jackets and Seth Jones. I mean, you, you wrote a piece, too, just about him potentially being the next captain. I mean, Nick Foligno leaving was, was a big gap in terms of leadership uh, for this club. What's that potential you think about Seth Jones? I know it's been talked about a, a lot amongst the Blue Jackets fans, and and obviously the organization, I'm sure, is in on this. What do you think is the future of the
3: captaincy there, and what would that mean potentially for Seth Jones to be a cap to be the captain? Well, I, I think it would be an absolute an honor for him to be able to get that opportunity. I would think that he would embrace it, but the question that has to be answered is, does he see enough in Columbus that he's willing to stay and commit eight years, seven years, you know, we'll do whatever that next contract is, is a lot of good players have left. I mean, think back to when they swept Tampa Bay. Dubois is gone. Anderson's gone. Duchesne is gone. Bobrovsky is gone. We can go on down the line of players that have left. The question that the Blue Jackets have to answer is, is there enough of a plan? Is there enough there that will convince Seth Jones that this can be a winning team soon? That's why this offseason is so critical for the blue jackets and for Yarmulkekeke line. And because they've got a, he called it a reload. So he's sounding confident that he can put the right players back in place for them to become a winning team again. But does Seth Jones believe that? And I know that the blue jackets, they're going to open the bank for him. They're going to do everything that they can. They have to do everything they can because they cannot afford to lose a guy like Seth Jones. He's been everything for them. he's, just goes without saying what everything that he does I mean, played 65 minutes in that playoff game last year. He just does everything so well. And he's a leader as well off the ice, very dependable, does everything the right way. Even though the blue jackets have really faded down the stretch here, he's still led by example. Tortorella's call thinks that he's the next captain. I, I think he's the next captain if it gets to that point, but they need to offer him maybe even a little bit of an overpay, you know, that they cannot afford to lose him because the downstream effect goes way beyond that. That's gonna tell everybody else, now maybe there is an issue with Columbus. So they really have to prioritize getting Seth Jones in place because if they don't, that could be devastating for years to come. But if they're able to get him to commit, maybe things are starting to trend in the right direction, but it'll definitely be the most important storyline to watch with the Blue Jackets.
2: Okay, now I know we'll be watching this because still looking at that the reaction to the trade. Uh who wins the trade kind of thing. Well, I think right now it's still more on the Columbus side, just in terms of what they're able to get out of him. Or but now. if you if yep. it, Right. If if that goes forward and you see what he can become, it even more cements why that was a good trade for Columbus to make Absolutely. on everything to the connection to Nashville. Before I have to let you go, to wanted to discuss this, the showcase that's going on in area, Junior Hockey Showcase, especially junior hockey. It's been difficult this year for scouts yeah. to just know what they're going to do with the draft. It's going to be a very unique draft, given how little people have been able to watch a lot of hockey players that they're going to be drafting. Uh, so I'm sure mm-hmm. boards are going to be all over the place. So what's this showcase going to do? Why is it important? And what are some of the details about it that people can expect to get out of it?
3: So what a story this is, Justin. I mean, it came at the idea of three junior players, and then they were able to get a fourth and Brendan Hoffman of the ear yachters, but Andrew Parrott is the one who started this up in Owen Sound, where he wanted to see if there this could get legs. He talked to a few players, he talked to some of his connections to see what, what how feasible would something like this be. Then it kind of came out of nowhere where friday kind of first came out a little bit then i ended up talking to hoffman on saturday and we were able to get the, the story out there where as of this moment there's going to be over 125 players not just from the ontario hockey league but from all the different junior leagues ushl possibly from the w in the in the q as well where it's going to be a showcase where they're going to play games they're going to break into teams going to be scouts there there's going to be former nhl players there so this is going to give the hockey world a chance to be able to see where some of these players are at in the form of games there'll be two weeks worth of games Um, but then also those that might not have had an opportunity after the fact like they're not on an nhl path but they could go to university or something like that maybe it'll catch the eye of a few other people and they'll be able to get an opportunity that way there'll be vendors like ccm there so this is kind of trying to make the best of a bad situation, having the season in the Ontario Hockey League canceled and the other shortened, where there would be a little bit more information out there to be able to get in front of the 2021 NHL draft. Just an incredible thing to be able to get everybody together and completely from a financial standpoint done because of charitable donations by people and organizations. And for two weeks, Erie's going to be the epicenter of the junior hockey world because this showcase is going to be a big deal well i'm sure you love that it's just down the street from you (laughs) 15 minutes from my house i cannot wait
2: (laughs) you only imagine well i'm sure we will be keeping a close eye on your twitter account because you have a lot of information uh coming from from that showcase So it's really good i'm glad they're able to do that too because it just gives teams a little bit more information and helps the players i mean it's a win-win uh for players and teams as well so mark as always we appreciate you joining us thank you for all of your insight and all these different situations and topics and i'm sure we'll talk to you in the future We'll talk down the road. Thanks, Justin. Glenn, really appreciate it. All right, Mark Scheig, the hockey writer. Uh, Great information from him. So especially make sure you follow him on Twitter at Mark Scheig. Last name is S-C-H-E-I-G. Great information about junior hockey and about that showcase. And I want to go. (laughs) I want to go,
1: Glenn. Lots of exciting things to look forward to um, after a lot of teams aren't in the playoffs anymore.
2: Yeah, uh, for sure. So, all right, up next, we'll talk Carolina Hurricanes. The Predators are going to finish up their season with two games against Carolina, who have they yet to beat. But we have Abby Labar with valley sports south joining us that's up next penalty box reader espn 1025 the game and welcome back to penalty box reader here on espn 1025 the game justin bradford glenn blackwell and joining us now really excited to have our next guest on we have abby labar uh covering the carolina hurricanes uh and they have a game tonight uh, she's very busy and thankful that she took the time to talk with us we wanted to get her on the show so so thankful near the end of the regular season we got you on abby thanks for joining us
0: Hey, five uh, games in eight days to end the season. I'm not <laughs> sleeping. So of course I'm, I'm available, right? Like I can't <laughs> <go to> sleep. <laughs> well,
2: well, we had we had Wade Minter on a couple of weeks ago and he's always a joy to have on. He is hilarious and lots of fun. Uh, so obviously we love talking hurricanes. I think hurricanes for a lot of folks or like their second team, because they're just a joy yeah. and fun to watch. And I think I've, I've talked before, the Carolina Hurricanes are on the upward trend or their bell curve right now. This is just the beginning for their window opening. So what has it been like for you to cover this season and even go back to last season to see the trend of the Carolina Hurricane just coming into power like this?
0: Yeah, so I became the in-game host for the Hurricanes uh, back in 2017. So that was right around the time that the ownership change happened. Rod Brennamore became head coach, and then I was I was the in-game host for, you know, 2017, 18, 19. And then this is my first season, you know, on Valley Sports and being the TV host. Um, and so it's been really special because I've been able to kind of see the entire progression of this organization and this team. And so um, getting thrown into this role uh, with them having the season that they have had, it's, it's no surprise. Uh, it makes my job easier, that's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, and going back to being the in-game host, you know, having the opportunity to... Uh, you know, be a host for these fans that are going nuts during the playoffs. Like you can't beat a team that just continues to get better each and every year. And so to be a part of that growth is something really special. And the co- common denominator for all of it is Rod Brendamore. And I know so many people around the league respect him. Uh, they respected him as a player and a coach, but just even as a person too. And he just loves this team and this organization. He even said it this morning, we were, we were talking to him because he has a contract negotiation in the works right now. Um, and everyone's kind of been asking him what's going to happen. And he got that question again this morning and point blank said, there's, you know, no doubt about it, that I am a Carolina hurricane. And so when you have somebody that is is holding the reins um, of everything that's happening right now, everyone's just bought into it. Um, And it's no surprise that the team is is playing the way they are right now.
1: And Abby digging right into this lineup, Tavo Taravainen recently returned to this Hurricanes lineup. I mean, this team plays really good hockey without him, but they almost play on a different level when he's in he's vocalized the difficulty mentally when a player is out of the game. Now that he's back in, what are you seeing in this team since his return and has it given them an even bigger jolt of energy than what we were seeing beforehand? It's so
0: funny. Like I was trying to think of the saying, I actually said it last night. I don't even think it's the right saying. It's like, you don't know what you have until it's gone. And like, it's kind of the opposite right like we knew that we were missing a lot in table but he was out for so long and the hurricanes just kept playing and they kept having guys that would step up and you know they were still playing good hockey it's it was like we almost forgot like how good this team could really be having a guy like table back in the lineup and the last couple of games have just been the total epitome of that and so yeah it's a great reminder that we we also still have a three or four, you know, key weapons that are out of the lineup. And so it's incredible to think that we haven't had the same roster since opening night um, with all of our starters and our key guys in the lineup. And the fact that this team has done so well and held, you know, a spot at the top of the division all season long, it's like, okay, what is the true potential of this team? And I think we're really seeing that, especially in the win over the Blackhawks last night. And so there's so much to Tabo's game. Um, You know, he's been scoring goals, which is so funny because Um, He's he's the guy that likes to pass a lot. And like he even said in one of his goals the other night, uh, he was like, I was actually looking for the extra pass, but I had absolutely no choice at that point, but just to shoot the puck. And so um, it's that. And then his defensive ability too. It's just his 200 foot game. He's a consistent player and having somebody like that back in your lineup brings, you know, excitement and and it energizes and confidence. I think it's just a good confidence booster for the team as a whole.
1: And looking at goaltending, Peter Mrazek has been dealing with a lower body injury. I know you tweeted out earlier, it looks like he's going to be back in net against uh, Chicago tonight. So now that he's back in the mix, looking ahead to the playoffs, do you see a scenario where Brenda Moore maybe alternates Nadelkovich and Mrazek, or maybe we see him lean primarily heavy on just one? Or what are your thoughts on on this goaltending situation once the playoffs start?
0: I think Rod is still trying to figure it out himself, um, to be completely honest. Ask him about it all the time. Um, And it kind of went back to when, you know, right before Peter went out again, we did have three goaltenders. It was right after the trade deadline, you knew one of them wasn't going anywhere um and you know we talked to to him about it every day and he was very transparent in the fact that i haven't had to deal with this before you know that's what he said Mm -hmm. and for him it was mainly just trying to keep the players the guys engaged um and and yeah trying to get because with goaltending it's different like if a guy sits for like a week and a half two weeks it's tougher well the thing with these canes goaltenders and uh you know he actually was speaking to that on behalf of reimer james reimer the other day our third goaltender these these goaltenders are used to kind of going a few days now not playing or a few games not playing and then being thrown into the lineup and having to be sharp so it wouldn't surprise me if he keeps up that rotation of, of Peter and Ned it'll be interesting I think the next few games will be uh, telling as far as getting Morazik in before the playoffs start to kind of see where he's at mentally and physically um, and then yeah I mean Ned's making his case there's no doubt about it and so I think that makes Rod's decision tougher because the easy answer is you just go with Peter because he's you know played so well in the past in the playoffs and Ned's just kind of continued to say hey I deserve to be here and this is why and now he's making a statement for I deserve to be the starting goaltender in the playoffs so I think that's why I say I think Rod's still trying to figure it out too Um, he's definitely going to lean on his goaltending coaches and his staff because he's a big um, he's a big guy when it comes to what do, what do my assistants have to say like what you know what kind of advice am I getting from from my inner circle that I can lean on um, so yeah I, I don't have an answer rod hasn't given us an answer um but yeah i think tonight will be telling um i think the next couple of games will be telling as far as what the goaltending situation will look like going into the playoffs
2: but what a good situation to have when it's a difficult choice to make when it comes to in the crease especially when you're a team that has high expectations now that you have two goaltenders that could actually take the team that far again join us on penalty box radio is abby Labar, who covers the carolina hurricanes a host and reporter for Bally sports south and abby just just looking at this too we Carolina is setting up themselves to be the number one seed out of the Central. Not just that, but to be the number one overall in the entire NHL with the President's Trophy. What's the mood been like there in Kane's country too because like, I'm obviously they're, they're very close. I mean, the math is looking correct for them to get it. It's just they have to accomplish a few more things and a couple of things go their way, but everything's setting up for them to get that number 1 overall seed. What's the mood been like there in knowing that hey, you have they're playing teams that's like the Blackhawks that are already out, they're eliminated and then they finish up against the Predators who they have full-on winning streak against this whole season.
0: You know, it's I I kind of want to say anxious in a way not not necessarily in a bad way like a little bit of a, a little bit of a like okay let's make it to the playoffs without anybody getting hurt you know let's win some games and but yeah you want to you want to balance fighting for that top spot in the division but also not like emptying your tank because this is in ex- like, I, going back to the beginning, five games in eight days to finish off the season. That's it's exhausting. And this season has already been mentally and physically exhausting. So we've had Rod Brennan, asked Rod Brennan more about this quite a few times. Like how do you truly balance, you know, not, you don't want to pull back from your game, right? Because you still want to win every night. You still want to end up at the top of the division, but you know, you also don't want to risk injuries. You also don't want the guys to be gassed. And so I don't think there's really it's an exciting mood, that's for sure, you know, from the fans. But I think from us, you know, that are kind of closer to the team and and watching these guys and talking to the team and talking to Rod, there's a little bit of that anxious feeling like, all right, let's 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 get there. But, you know, you know, we don't want anybody to get hurt and let's stay at the top because home ice advantage is so important. And so he's kept with the mindset of let's just play our game you know, every single day, let's focus on one day, let's get the two points. And it's so cliche, but I think the guys have truly bought into that message. And we saw that last night against the Blackhawks. Um, you know, it, it was probably one of the most complete games of the season. And it was because the Hurricanes' forecheck check was so aggressive. And that is a taxing game to play. The Hurricanes, the game that they play when they're playing it well, it's exhausting. It takes a lot out of you. So he, Rod hasn't even been practicing the guys a lot. Um, they had no morning skate today, no morning skate yesterday. Um, they didn't even have practice Sunday. So So that's three days in a row without any sort of practice or skate reps. Um, So for them, it's just, it's really just trying to, to find that balance, um, you know, have the excitement that you're towards the top, but don't get too excited, uh, you know, before you walk in that, that number one spot in the division. So it's something that uh, I don't think has been felt around here since probably 2006, but that's a good thing, right? Like that was a, you know, you know, what happened with that team. And so I think everyone's trying to, to balance their emotions and uh, stay even keeled as we make it through this next week.
2: Yeah, and that's definitely difficult to do just because the excitement continues to build. And I mean, it could get to the point, too, where these both these teams, the Predators and the Hurricanes, are locked up in what's going to happen when they face each other. Whereas I think before, folks are kind of thinking, well, it could come down to those two games, whether it's to lock up the number one seed or to lock up a playoff berth. And the Predators could do that on Wednesday. And the Hurricanes could do that by the end of their series with the Blackhawks as well as to lock up the number one overall. That would take some pressure off <laughs> both both teams as well. Yeah. But but before we let you go, too, Abby, it's it's always great to hear... Uh, the journey that some folks have to take. So just wanted to know how you got your start in sports and and led you to this position now with Valley Sports South, because it's just awesome just to see representation like that. So I wanted to learn about your journey and how you got to where you are.
0: You know, last night uh, we were at, because we moved our set back out to the concourse. Um, It was originally like in the inner bowl or whatever um, when the fans were back. So now, you know, we have fans that are allowed to come by and interact. And there's a lot of times where I sit back and I think about like what I'm doing. And I'm like, how, how am I making an impact? Right? Like, how am I making a difference? I'm not curing cancer. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. And this, this girl came up to me, um, huge, you know, huge caniac. And she's like, Hey, like, and started tearing up. And she was like, I just want to let you know, it's really incredible to see you as a woman, like having that representation for us. And it was a really cool reminder of like, it just, you know, you have those moments where you sit back and you think about like, what have you done to get to this point? And then, you know, what do you have in front of you? And and just the impact that, you know, you're making. And so, yeah, it's really cool. You brought up, brought up that, like being a woman in sports, being a woman in hockey. And I, I go back. I I always wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I played sports all my life. I played, did everything under the sun. I was like, let me try everything. I rode horses I swam, I played soccer. So I've always been like very active, very competitive, like very outgoing. That's just been my personality. so. I knew that's what I wanted to do, um, and then as soon as I got to NC State University, I, I just kind of hit the ground running. I was like, "How can I find these opportunities?" I, you know, followed a lot of reporters in the industry and knew it was competitive. And um, as far as getting into hockey goes, uh, that is something I never would have expected to be covering. I absolutely love it, and it's like my whole life right now. But going back a few years ago, you know, I had kind of tried a little bit of everything. I did college football, college basketball, baseball, and, you know, staying in the Raleigh area and in the community and through my networks, I, you know, found this job with the Hurricanes. And yeah, it started as the in-game host, um, and that was something that I had had experience in. In college, I was an in-game host for some baseball teams, and um, I loved that job. It's I think it's one of the most underrated jobs if you want to be a sports broadcaster or sports reporter, because you have to, it's it's live experience. You have so many distractions around you. You really learn a lot about yourself and your own confidence and how to be comfortable in your own skin, um, because you have people yelling crazy things at you, and you have to think on the fly. Um, and so, yeah, so So that was, you know, I think my first big opportunity coming out of college and being with this organization and uh, just kind of growing with the fans and growing in that role as the in-game host, uh, it kind of all like, you know, snowball effect rolled into me moving into this this role as the TV host. And, uh, you know, I couldn't, I I always look back as everyone's always like, with any job, like what's your five-year plan? Like, where do you wanna be in five years? Five years ago, I would have never imagined being in this role that I'm in right now, but I love it. And that's what this industry is. And it's, um, you know, it's sharing stories, it's sharing community, it's, um, it's really a truly incredible role. And like you said, from the, at the top, being a part of an organization where you know, I got here right when things started to, to turn for the better and, and growing with that, that's made this entire role in this entire, um, you know, I, I hate to call it a job, but because it, it's, it's a lifestyle, right? It's, it's made it so much better and, and really special. So, and Wade Minter, I'm so happy you guys get him on, got him on here because he's literally the best human being. We, me and him were, you know, we started, <laughs> I started with him. Um, and so he's great too. But yeah, it's, it, you know how he is. Uh, you know how we are down here. It's, it's oh, yeah. a special hockey community, that's for sure.
2: Wade Zahood, I first met him at the U.S. Pond Hockey Championships of all places in Minneapolis. <laughs> so I first had <laughs> my first interaction yeah. with him, not not in the South or anything, but up in Minneapolis for pond hockey.
3: That's and,
2: yeah, he's he's a great dude. Well, well, Abby, we appreciate you sharing your insight and your story. Really appreciate that. And hey, maybe see you in the playoffs. <laughs> I
0: hope so. That would be fun. Everyone's everyone's like, who do you want the Canes to face? I'm like, well, I kind of like the (laughs) Prez. Yeah,
2: I wonder why. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time, Abby. Really appreciate it. And hey, we'll probably talk to you soon.
0: All right. Thank you guys so much.
2: Abby Labar, Valley Sports South, covering the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Been wanting to get her on. The schedule finally worked out. She went to the arena early just to get on our show, Glenn. We had to pre-record this. So folks know, because the Canes are playing right now. So obviously, she's not recording an interview. But that's how we got her.
1: Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> Which was that speaks volumes about who Abby is. She made yes. she made it happen today. So we really really appreciate her coming on. Absolutely,
2: a- absolutely. Okay, up next we'll answer your questions and discuss some other topics like Tom Wilson uh, that have come up in the NHL. Up next, Penalty Boxer, ESPN One Two Five, the game. Welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 102.5 The Game, Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, and had a couple questions come in, and then obviously want to give our thoughts on the Tom Wilson thing. Ooh, as y'all probably can imagine, that fires me up a little bit.
1: I wish uh, y'all could see his face right now.
2: Yeah, let's <laughs> let's go to the questions first. This one comes from Brian. Uh, Does Hines view Grimaldi's defensive game or his size as is an issue with him not being in the lineup? I mean, this this question's coming up about Grimaldi a lot, and. I think a lot of folks are continuing to hang their hats on his big game where he had the goal outburst. But one of the reasons why Grimaldi's not playing right now is there are better players on the team than him. And I, I, I'm trying to be as honest as possible, I know it comes off as brunt but Grimaldi plays a certain role. And right now there are other players that are better than him in terms of defensive responsibility. Uh, Rocco Grimaldi, unfortunately has had some bad lapses in the defensive zone or in the neutral zone. Uh, he is basically an all offense type of player. And yes, he hustles. He can do good things on offense, but there have been times defensively where it is not played into the system as well as it should uh, for a player. And that's why, I mean, he was playing top line with all these injuries and everything because he was an offensive player and he was a body and he could hustle and, play fast out there, but defensively he's been a liability in the past. And it's not that Grimaldi's in Heinz's doghouse. It's just, there's just better players in this roster than him right now that fit a role. I mean, especially if you look at the fourth line, he's not going to play in the fourth line without bruising that line is with Janot, Trennan, and Sissons typically. And the third line which is Haula's line has been really buzzing so far with, with what they've been doing, uh, especially with, with cousins Hala and Hala And they've developed a lot of chemistry out there too. Uh, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I, I, Rocco Grimaldi is, is, a, is a depth forward at this point in the season. Uh, and that's just the way that I think it is. It's not, it's not a personal vendetta, just like there's not a personal vendetta against it's that Yusuf Saros mm-hmm. is the hot goaltender right now. That's who you're going to go with, but as the way things are going, maybe they clinch and you can get Pecorini one of the final two games.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't see his size as something that he's going to say that John Hines is going to say in his mind, you know, what is his size? I'm going to sit him out. I think Justin, you touched on it, right. About the defensive game. And it also goes back to what you had said in the first segment, right? Like there are really good players on this team that have to wonder do I have a place on this roster once insert name here comes back from injury. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's been the scenario that we've seen lately. Everybody that's been on the ice is fighting for that time on the ice. So, I mean, you could be a great depth forward for this team, but when everybody else around you was playing a little bit better of a game, the numbers, there's just aren't enough numbers to have everybody out there. Somebody has to sit. So I don't think it's a personal, I agree with you. It's not like a personal attack or a vendetta on anything mm-hmm. specific about his size, but about the game that he's currently playing when somebody's playing better in that moment, you have to go with the person that's playing best in the moment.
2: Yeah, absolutely do. Okay. Next question comes from Daniel. Uh, who do you think the Predators have the best chance of succeeding against in the playoffs? The Canes, the Bolts, Panthers, personally I prefer Florida, which you can't always get what you want. Yeah, it's, it's going to take a lot for the Predators to match up against the Florida Panthers. I do think that would be the better matchup of the three, uh, just given so many different factors. Uh, I mean, one, the National Predators are 0-5-1 to the Carolina Hurricanes. And they're, yes, they're 2-6 and 6 against Tampa and 3-5 and 5 against Florida. Those aren't good numbers in any form or fashion. Tampa scares me because they're Tampa, and they're going to turn on for the playoffs. Plus, they're going to get even healthier for the playoffs. We already know what's going to happen, folks. Just wait and see, because uh, that's when you don't have a salary cap. Uh, and then the Carolina Hurricanes are just way too darn good. I mean, they're just too good right now. The the Predators. And if this is a cold take, it's a cold take. I cannot foresee the Predators winning more than one game against Carolina in a, in a seven-game series with how good Carolina is right now. That's nothing against the Predators. Carolina's just that good.
1: I think everybody that would be good. terrified to go up against Carolina. Yeah. Like
2: F- Florida, the one thing that helped them against Florida is some questions in net for Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they match up just a little bit better, but it's still not the best-case scenario there. So the Predators would have to just – used to start also to have to be, be playing lights out, which he has been, he's been playing so well. And they'd have to just kick the tires in such a way that it is very, very special and I'm not saying that can't happen. It's just things are not lining up for that to be uh, the best. And there's just no, the way that the, the standings are right now, Florida is going to have to overcome a lot in two games. And Carolina is going to really have to sputter in their final four games in order for for Florida to catch up because Carolina has two games in hand on Florida and Florida is two points behind. So that's a lot of making up Florida would have yeah. to do to get to the number one seed.
1: Yeah. I don't really feel any differently than you. I mean, if I had to pick none of those three would be easy, but if I'm having to pick and I'm looking at the numbers and the recent history of playing against these teams, I would have to go with Florida, but I have to give Daniel a shout out. He attached a Pat Benatar hit me with your best shot video with that question. Yeah,
2: And I'm a a huge
1: Pat Benatar fan (laughs) over here. So thanks, Daniel.
2: Very nice. Okay. Before we have to go, we have a couple minutes. Uh, Glenn, you, you asked Mark about this. So I want, I want you to go first. Your thoughts on this Tom Wilson situation. And obviously, if you've listened to the show for any period of time, you know what we feel about player safety and how important that is to us and how we think there's a, it's a joke. So go for it. Then.
1: Well, okay, so I've always been somebody that I don't want to say I've defended them, but I've always been one to try to see both sides. So This Tom Wilson thing has me baffled because I can usually come on here and say, well, you know what, like I sort of get it. In this case, it really, really makes me wish that we got videos from Department of Player Safety for fines and not just for the suspensions videos right so those I mean people can have that we can at least attempt. To have some sort of understanding how they came to this decision, those videos for suspensions kind of give us a little bit of insight. So we get that for that, but we're not getting them for we're not getting them for the fines. And I think I would personally like to see those because when I watch what happened last night with Tom Wilson, nothing at all makes sense to me as to why he just got a five thousand dollar fine. Nothing makes sense at all. Um, there's actually, and I saw this right before we started recording this, so I haven't read the article, but um, Sean Gentilly wrote an uh, article on The Athletic that I'm going to read as soon as we're done with this, because I'm curious, because he said, if you're at all, he, it was something along the lines of, if you're, if you're at all shocked about his $5,000 fine, um, then you're not paying attention at all, because he knows how to play this game in the league and get away with stuff. He knows how to do it. Other players don't. So I'm very curious as to his take on that um, because he's basically getting away with something a little short of murder. Like you are possibly ending someone's career. That is a human being on the ice and it was sickening to watch. And so I'm very, very baffled. I have nothing, no rebuttal to come back and say, well, you know what? I kind I of understand where they're coming from. I don't, I don't this time. So
2: Uh, (laughs) Pavel Bushnevich was, I don't say helpless, but he, it's a a defenseless position face down on the ice. Tom Wilson had his stick over his neck and then punched him into the ice. (laughs) And then, yeah. And then Artemi Panarin jumps him to try to pull him off. And then Wilson rips off his helmet and then slams him into the ice. And Panarin is probably going to miss the rest of the season because of that too. And then what does Wilson do? He takes off his jersey and in the penalty box, he flexes. And then what did the Washington Capitals do? They tweet out a sheesh meme with Tom Wilson and then later delete it because it was an awful, awful PR look
3: mm-hmm.
2: for them to do that. This These type of actions don't belong in this league. This league is about scoring and defense and hard legal hits, not this type of crap that happens post-whistle or that happens with intent to injure Tom Wilson plays with an intent to injure. And yeah, plenty of GMs would love to have him on, on their team, but he plays with an intent to injure. And that is extremely dangerous. He knows that he is way bigger than plenty of guys out there. And that's not a, a fault for the guys that are smaller. He knows he could take on anybody he wants to in this league. He really, really absolutely good. And to do those types of plays is absolutely intent to injure because it's not like two guys are squaring up. It's not like a, a guy is in a position where he knows he's probably going to get hit. It's in a defenseless position, and Wilson continues to go in, and that needs to be out of this game, out of this game, out of this league, and the league has to step up and do it. I don't care what player it is. I don't care what team they're playing for. It's absolutely ridiculous and atrocious. That continues to happen. It continues to happen. It's just a fine. There should have been a suspension, and not even a phone call happened, just a $5,000 suspension, and it doesn't belong in this game. I could go on and on about this, but it absolutely infuriates me to see this out there, and then you have people defending it. That's what I don't get. Yeah, people defending it. We need to wrap up, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, people defending it. So if you want to interact with us, take it to Twitter. She's at Rebecca Glenn. I'm at Justin B Bradford. Uh, we we want to interact on this and talk about it. But it's just ridiculous. Department of Player Safety is fails to be consistent once again. Once again, they fail to be consistent. That's all we're asking for. Glenn is consistency.
1: Yeah, I do. And and the only th- yeah the only thing I can think of is maybe they're so by the book. <laughs> about hockey plays well no i'm being serious maybe they're so by the book about hockey plays because when you look back at Cindy crosby bashing pk's suban's head into the ice that wasn't a hockey play but did anything happen no you know i know it was a playoff game but still um so yeah please tweet us your thoughts Twitter yeah, thoughts.
2: Yeah. All right. If you missed anything, penaltyboxator.com, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. And we have plenty of things on there for you. We'll finish covering up to the rest of the season. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in so much. We appreciate it. For Glenn Blackwell, I'm Justin Bradford. Thanks for listening to penalty Boxer here on ESPN 102.5 the game.